It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, June the 4th, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell. Happy June to everybody. I always feel joyful when we hit the month of June. We are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas, and we have another great program in store for you today. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly, of course. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined from Toronto, Canada, by Christiana Eggy, registered nurse, geriatric and mental health specialist, owner and operator of Alexis Lodges, which provides person-centered care for individuals with Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia, and author of three children's books that explain to children why their grandparent with dementia might be acting differently. Christiana will explain to us what we can expect to see with someone we love who has dementia and some ways that we can create a better quality of life for them. And later in the program, I'll continue with some notes from the field about passionately advocating for your loved ones in long-term care. And after the show, you can hear this program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight with, along with any website links that we discuss on the program. You can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years, and you'll also be able to hear it on Apple Podcasts. For information from prior programs and to listen to all of the previous programs since we've been on blog talk radio for the past uh, nine and a half years, I think it is. Um, you can go to my website, drmaricarpell.com. You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years, and you can go to Apple Podcasts, and all of the podcasts will be there from the past nine and a half years, and the information will be on my website. And to find out what's coming up next on this program and other events, Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AMightyGoodTimes.com. Wondering what to do to connect with other people after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day connecting with others. So be more active and start connecting again. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break 
to play some of our other sponsors' commercials, but it'll be very brief, so don't go anywhere because we'll be joined in just a few moments by Christiana Eggie, registered nurse, to talk about dementia and how we can create a better quality of life for those we love dementia. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy. Protect your personal information and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your... Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpell.com. And now joining us from Toronto, Canada, we have Christiana Eggy, registered nurse and geriatric specialist and dementia specialist. Welcome, Christiana. Thank you so much, Mara. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are things up there in Canada? It's a beautiful day out here in Toronto. Nice. I'm sure it's it's not as hot as it is here in Texas. <laughs> no, it's actually cool. <laughs> it's cool. So it yes, makes me it's jealous. Nice <laughs> Just right. <laughs> Just right. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the program. I'm really I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, I think what you're doing is so important, and I I received one of your books from you, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um. Before we, you know, I just want to mention, let me just a a, a quick reminder to my guests and to you, there's a slight delay when we talk like this. So I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Um, Before we get into this discussion about dementia, why don't we start with a little bit about your background so listeners have an idea of who you are. So my name is Christiana Eggy. I'm a registered nurse, and I actually founded Alexis Lodge Retirement Residences with the help of my husband uh, 24 years ago. Prior to that, I was working at the um, Mental Health Center, Center for Additional Mental Health, one, uh, Canada's largest psychiatric hospital. And um, the things that I saw, the conditions in which my patients will return over and over were very disturbing. So I will come home and vent to my husband. So after the birth of our third child, Alexis, he invited me to do something about it. That was when we started Alexis Lodge Retirement Residence, which is a home where we provide 
person-centered care um, to enhance the quality of life for individuals that are living with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia with the goal to help them live their best lives now, even with a diagnosis of dementia, so that they can continue to be treated with respect and dignity. And that was what mm-hmm. we did. And that's what I've been doing for the past 24 years. You know, and you wrote three books, right? Three children's books. Yes. Yes. So Along the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what got me to writing these books? Um, you know, taking care of people in this home-like environment that really nurtures and, you know, makes people feel at home and just give them that quality of life was great. But what I saw in doing that was, again, very heartbreaking because we did not have a lot of family involvement. So we became, the staff and myself became family to most of our residents. And um, in a situation like that, you may want to judge, which, you know, but very quickly I realized that it's not that the families don't care. It's just that dementia is such a traumatic and devastating disease that by the time loved ones actually start looking for an alternative to home for their loved ones, they are at their wit's end. And some of them, because of what they have suffered through this journey with their loved ones, they just don't have enough in them to come back. You know, now they have to take care of themselves. So a lot of them suffer burnout. A lot of them hold grudges. Um, because if your mom or your dad that loves you and you love so much that's accusing you of stealing or they start to hit you, you know, some people just can't get over that as well. Mm-hmm. Some people just um, don't, it's just the lack of understanding and just thinking, I don't want to see my dad or mom like that anymore. So that was why I decided that, you know what, much awareness is needed. So that when people mm-hmm. get to understand the reality of this disease, it will make a difference. And I decided to do that through the voices of children because it makes it less threatening and also more easy to digest. So that in my books, there's something for everyone, for children and for adults. Because oftentimes children are sort of neglected when families are dealing with these struggles but they're a very vital part of that family, you know, um, to address anything, especially a dementia in the family. So that is why I started mm-hmm. writing the books, yeah. Well, I really love the message. I, I read your book, um, Unmasking Grandpa, but thank you for that. Um, I just received that this weekend. It's a beautiful book, and I love the the drawings. As the illustrations as well as the message of the book. Um, and I read the whole thing and I felt like just what you were saying, that it's not just for children. It's for everybody to read, um, to get a better understanding of dementia and uh, the way that we treat our loved ones who have dementia. And, you know, one of the things that came to mind, and I know this goes to the conversation that you and I had, and this is the the discussion that I've been having on this show for the past couple of months about, you know, long-term care and the way we treat our elders um, isn't always the best. (laughs) 
And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the thought that came to mind was that my hope is that by teaching children about dementia so that it's not so scary um, and they can be continue to be part of their grandparents' lives who might have dementia, um, that perhaps the quality of care given for older adults in the future, um, especially those with dementia, when those children are then the decision makers in the world, um, will be much more likely to be compassionate and caring than they tend to be right now, um, with the exception of a few people like yourself, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. taking care Thank of you. The, Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that you're you know, yeah. what you're doing it will have an impact for the future. You know, this generation. Mhm. Um and I I found one of the one of the I'm gonna quote you from your book. Um <laughs> in your book Unmasking Grandpa, you wrote something that I think we all need to hear and really something that could change the way um, we see elderly people, not just people with dementia, but of course, including people with dementia, but and also disabled people, people with mental health issues, and really every group that's marginalized. Um, when you wrote that part in the voice of the grandchild, um, sometimes we judge other people because of what they look like or how they act, regardless of whether you know someone's story, it's not okay to judge them. You might look at my grandpa and only see that he has a disease, but if you take the time to unmask grandpa, you'll know that he's one of the most awesome people you could ever know. And I think that that's a really big part of the problem is that people don't get to know who that person is beyond whatever challenge they're dealing with right now. That is what stigma is about. When you don't know something, you look at it differently, and it's scary. People are lacking understanding, and that is why my goal is to make dementia a household name. When we all come to understand what it is, you will never get those glances. Like when I take some of my residents to the plaza, people start looking at us if they're acting weird. So when we understand, when children at elementary school, uh, you know, as early as elementary school levels get to understand that dementia is a disease that affects the brain and that some older people, and mind you, some younger people don't get some form of dementia because there are several types. So when they get to know that just because somebody is acting weird does not make them less a human or does not mean, and this is not just for children other adults as well. And mostly Mm -hmm. even seniors are very scared of the disease because they think they can catch it. So education and awareness is very important. When we become a sensitized society, rather than looking at somebody or laughing at them, you take a step back. How can I help this person? When you Mm -hmm. have a family member or a friend whose loved one has dementia, a lot of people fall off. They lose friends. They lose, you know, support, even families. They, 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 this disease rips the very fabric that holds families together. Mm-hmm. But when everyone is on the same playing field, 
when we can all join hands together to honor these people who have done all such good as parents, uncles, aunts, and, you know, workers or citizens, when we can join hands together to lift them up in this time of struggle, then life will be better for them and for the loved ones that look after them. You know, Mm -hmm. just taking dinner for somebody so that they will have a break or going to sit with a friend's dad or mom or grandpa so they can go for a walk. All those things we add up to helping them stay healthy and avoiding burnout. Mhm, mhm. So, um, you know, I I know that you wrote three different books about different types of dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people think of Alzheimer's disease when they think of dementia, but that's certainly not the only type of dementia that there is. Um, but what what can you tell us? You know, maybe we can start with Alzheimer's disease. And what are some things that family members or people who have loved ones with Alzheimer's disease um, need to know about so they can better understand their loved one and maybe contribute to their loved one having a better quality of life even with Alzheimer's disease? So, yes, like you rightly said, Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. So most people sort of lean towards Alzheimer's. So dementia is damage to the brain that affects behaviors, reasoning, memory, and just, you know, the brain controls everything that we do. So when a loved one has dementia, they start to act different. So they're not able to do the things that they used to do. I like to just group everyone together because it's similar presentation. So when Mm -hmm. you have Alzheimer's versus when you have vascular dementia, you will have some deficits in your behaviors, right? So um, this um, dementia is very difficult to diagnose because sometimes you miss the warning signs. It's like, you know, masking grandpa. It was Thanksgiving. After grandma made a turkey, he forgot to bring it. And he blamed grandma for taking too much time to get ready. So people start to do things that are different, things that are changed to the point that your loved one may not remember how to get home, the same home where they have lived for 30, 40 years because, mm-hmm. they, 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 yeah. So when that starts to happen and you know that your loved one is going through this disease, the best thing you can do or when you've been given a diagnosis, rather than thinking that it's a death sentence, what you do is look at the abilities that they still have and help them to maintain those abilities. And the ways where they have become deficient, you want to do things to help them be able to 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 accomplish tasks without feeling, you know, unworthy or feeling self-conscious. So, for instance, mm-hmm. your loved one can no longer tie their shoelaces. What do you do? You get slip-ons or you get shoes that close with Velcro. You know, when someone can no longer actually cook because they're forgetting the steps. You, you go into the kitchen with them because they are muscle memories. They are things that we, they will still remember. Just, you know, saving those, those moments of dignity for your loved one is so important. And, and mm-hmm. you know, just also reinforcing whatever they've done because in the early stages of the disease, the person dealing with a dementing illness know that they are starting to lose some abilities 
and it's very distressing. You know, when, when your grandparents, one of the most common things is that they start to repeat something over and over again. As annoying as that is, rather than saying, oh, you've told me that a million times. No, you just want to maybe redirect their focus to something else or pretend that it's a new story and then change the topic. You know, anything mm-hmm. to make them feel, because feelings are still intact. They don't lose feelings. Just because they don't remember to do something does not mean that they don't have their emotions anymore. So you want to support them and encourage them as much as possible. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, there are two things that you said that really hit me, and one is, um, you know, letting them do what they can still can do, just providing support to make it easier because I think a lot of people will automatically just say, okay, I'm just going to do everything for them now and it'll be done faster. But but the, as you said, that leads to low self-esteem and feeling, you know, bad about themselves for not being able to do those things. Um, and the other, the other part is... Uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about not telling them, oh, you told me that already. <laughs> um, but supporting the story and maybe redirecting so that it's not so annoying, right? You don't want to hear the same mm-hmm. story again, but can you do that in a way that doesn't hurt their feelings? Because feelings, yeah, that was the the other part, was that one thing about dementia is that even if somebody forgets words or forgets how to do things, they don't forget how to feel. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I've noticed even with um, people I've seen with Alzheimer's or other types of dementia when it's pretty advanced, when they can't really vocalize or express themselves or may not even understand some of what is being said to them. They may have gotten to the point where their comprehension is impaired. They they do understand how you made them feel. Yes. Right? Is that, um, or even um, not recognizing someone they love they still know that they love that person, even if they don't know what their relationship is with them. Is that something that you see a lot? Yes, absolutely. Like when when, um, someone that is living with dementia starts misidentifying a loved one, they may see a daughter and think that is their mother, right, and so forth. I I remember a particular incident. Um, A gentleman had been living in my home. Like I said, we become family to this uh, resident. So after about maybe three or four years, his son came to visit. And he told me, oh, my father would never recognize me. So I said, that's okay. You know, at least you make him feel good. So I brought him to his dad. As soon as his dad saw him, he called out a name. And this guy was so taken aback. He said, after the visit, he said, you know what? He called me by my brother's name. And my mm-hmm. father always misidentified us. And that struck a chord in me because sometimes we don't know when this dementia started. 
because it is a very slow progressive disease. It can even take, what, 10, 20, 30 years. So mm. maybe all that time that they thought he was misidentifying them, he was already in the process of this disease that they did not know. You know, but he saw him and he remembered. And he mm-hmm. did tell me that he'll be back to visit. Unfortunately, I never saw him until his dad passed away. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there are so many stories like that. Like when you think your loved one has forgotten, it is very painful. It is difficult. But remember that it's, it's just as difficult for the loved one who is going through that journey themselves. No one chooses to have a disease. Right. So when it happens, just supporting them, you know, encouraging them, visiting if you have them in a home, and and just, you know, being there, that, that moment of joy when they see you, it's just priceless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned to you in our phone call that my grandmother had Alzheimer's. Yes. Um, and that was right, she was diagnosed right while I was in graduate school and had just decided to work with older adults. Um, and she started losing her ability to speak in, you know, recognizable speech. She used a lot of, you know, nonsense syllables. Mm-hmm. But um, it was very clear that she knew that we were people that she loved. And every time I would come home from school and I would see her, she would she would burst into tears, like happy tears, yeah. and start hugging me. So she may not have been able to remember my name. She didn't remember, she didn't necessarily remember what our relationship was. She knew that I was someone that she loved. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, and, and, and what I've seen is that, and I'm sure that you've seen this with family members coming to visit, that sometimes people with Alzheimer's will just, like, surprise you and say something that is really sharp, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> like in the middle to, to uh, early to mid-stages, you know, they still have moments of clarity where they will shock their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Another thing to note as well, where caregivers are concerned, is that caregiver guilt. Like a lot of caregivers feel that they have not done enough or cannot forgive themselves. It is so important that people let let it go. You know, just do the best that you can. Dementia has no manual. It's like working in the dark. You know, you're going through mm-hmm. something that you never expected that, you know, that has just happened or that suddenly happened. So just remember to to be kind to yourself. Find humor in the whole process, you know. Find a way to laugh about these things. Don't take it too seriously because this stress is just enormous and it can cause health issues for the caregiver. So, mm-hmm. you know, just remember to take care of yourself as a caregiver. Because your 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 health and your wellness and being able to be there throughout the process for your loved one is very important. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of 
research about uh, caregivers getting sick and, you know, sometimes dying before the person that they care for because of yes. the stress. Um, and, and that is what my, my thought book <laughs> is about, Unraveled. Like, you know, how, oh, okay. because burnout is so difficult to diagnose. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just symptoms. You go to the doctor, they don't know what is wrong with you, right? Uh, but you know you are having these symptoms, but, is, you know, and also in today's, I don't know, almost, almost post-COVID, we are still in COVID, but at least it's getting better. In today's uh, society, of this COVID situation where there's a mental health crisis. A lot of people have been touched by burnout, young or old. And some Mm -hmm. people self-medicate with alcohol or drugs. Some people are quitting jobs. Students are dropping out. People are not engaging like they used to. So we really need to understand all these things, these symptoms, and to seek help. You know, it's so important to remove this eradicate stigma around mental illness. When any one of us, when we're not feeling, when our emotions are not right, we should be free to seek help. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Everyone mm-hmm. needs somebody sometime, you know. So it's, just, it's not just dementia, but in other aspects of life as well. Right, right. Um, I know there are a lot of groups, right, for people to join support groups for caregivers. Yeah. Um, a lot are online these days because of COVID. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Yeah. So, you know, I know you mentioned that a lot of the issues are similar between the different demen- types of dementia, but are there some specifics? to each type of dementia that affects um, the person's behavior or how the how their family member might respond? Yeah, yes, there are. Um, different types of dementia have different, uh, especially if you take Lewy body dementia, where people have very vivid hallucinations. Initially, their memories are not um, impacted. But, you know, they have these um, vivid dreams. So um, it, different types of, if it's frontotemporal dementia, like, you know, it will affect your social skills and, and so forth. Mm. And when you talk about uh, uh, um, vascular dementia, it depends on the part of the brain that is damaged. If the speech center is damaged, you may lose your speech very early on in the disease. But with, with Alzheimer's, it's a slow and progressive disease so that it takes a while for those, like, losing your speech. It's more like in the end stage of the disease. But, you know, forgetting, like, um, just um, forgetting not being able to retain, you know, your um, present memories as opposed to your um, later stages of uh, memory is different, right? So Mm -hmm. um, short-term memories is challenged initially, and then eventually it progresses to long-term memory. And also um, it's something that you cannot stop, so to speak. So it's just progressive. But in vascular dementia, if it's caused by high blood pressure that is not managed properly, or diabetes, 
um, or high blood cholesterol, when you mitigate those problems and your blood vessels are performing better, then you are able to stop the disease where where at that point, like you're not going to have any more damage, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a gentleman that has been with us for the past 20 years. His dementia resulted from alcoholism. So the moment he stopped drinking and he moved in into Alexis Lodge, he's remained the same thing for the past 20 years. He hasn't declined. Mm. Yes. So also okay. research is now showing that even Alzheimer's can be prevented up to 40% through lifestyle changes. So what is important, like we talk about dementia all the time, but the other thing that we don't talk a lot about is the prevention like mm-hmm. what we do to prevent ourselves from developing dementia. How do so we need a healthy lifestyle? Yeah. What are the, some of the things that we can do to prevent? What, what I, like to say, <laughs> I like to say mm-hmm. it's a buffet of things. It's not just one thing. You want uh-huh. to have good brain health. So you want to sleep. You want to mitigate stress. You want to, you know, give yourself plenty of um, rest. You want to eat healthy. You want to exercise. And you want to have fun. Community is so important. Mm. And that is why I am sort of um, not too pro working from home because we're losing that social engagement. You know, when mm-hmm. you work outside of your home, you have that simulation. You can see your coworkers. There's that healthy competition. But when you are in your home, you're losing that social engagement, which is not very good for your brain. You need to mm-hmm. have a lot of fun. Like even dancing is a great, great form of um, exercise and also also increases the endorphins, help your brain, you know, develop a lot of um, fun and stimulating activities that helps you do better, right? We we actually were very fortunate at Alexis Lodge to participate in a dance, um, a documentary video on dance um, mm-hmm. called Dancer Not Dementia, Eradicating the Stigma Around Dementia Through Dance. When you're dancing, no one is judging you, thinking, oh, does he have uh, Alzheimer's or is he vascular, you know? You right. judge yourself, you, 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 you maintain your dignity, everyone has fun. So if anyone is interested, it's on YouTube, Dancer Not Dementia. It's a beautiful documentary film on how to eradicate um, stigma around dementia through dance. So what is it called, dance? Dancer, dan- the, like dance, I said, dancer, dancer. Uh-huh. not dementia. So you are dancer, a dancer. not dementia. Oh, yes, that's beautiful. Yes, yes it's I'm a gonna, documentary I'm gonna look, film by the, yeah. Okay, I'm going to look for that From and the, I'm going to post it on the yeah, post okay. about the show tonight. Yeah. Yes, that's the, from the Ballet School, National Ballet School of Canada did that. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. You see all the residents dancing, having a good time. It eradicates stigma. It increases um, community and social participation. It increases your health because your blood flows better. You know, you're relaxed, you're happy, and so forth. There are so many benefits to dancing. It's it's a universal language, just like music. 
And music, music and Alzheimer's also yes. big, uh, big help with people with Alzheimer's. I've seen um, residents with Alzheimer's like remembering all the words to songs that they've known since they were young when yes. they don't yes. remember anything else. <laughs> yes, it's so interesting. The mind is a beautiful thing. It's interesting mm-hmm. what it retains. Yeah. And that's yeah. why we should never, you know, count people out. Dementia is not yes. a death sentence. We need to help them maintain their dignity and respect and fun and abilities for as long as they possibly can. Yes, that's beautiful. So you, your place, Alexis Lodge, is you described it as, a per, as person-centered care. Can you explain what that is, what person-centered care is? Yes. We are all unique individuals. So we treat our residents uniquely, and we custom make their care to them. So we, may, we have some residents who don't get up for breakfast. So instead of getting up at 7 or 8, they're getting up at 10 or 11. That is okay because when they get up, they will still have a hot meal. If you have a resident mm-hmm. who does not want to participate in an activity, it's okay. Let them do what it is that they choose to do. Having consistency, having that support, getting them engaged in home-like activities. Like because Alexis Lodge is a home, it's almost like your own home. And in your home, you can do whatever it is you want to do. That is what our residents do. They have to fold laundry if they choose to. They, they, some of them can help to cut off vegetables and, you know, set the table and all different things. Like if you want to lie on the couch and rest, it's okay because it's your home. Some people mm-hmm. go to the fridge mm-hmm. to help themselves. So when you focus on individuals and on, on their strengths and create the, the program around them, not everyone has to do the same thing. Yes, we do do cohesive activities, but not all the time. And sometimes when people are not involved in an activity, they are passively being involved because they hear everything that is happening around them. That is why Mm -hmm. the smaller settings are so important for people with dementia. When a home is so large, they fall through the crack. They don't get that attention. So you need right. a supportive environment where they can succeed in, where that is familiar, right? You have the mm-hmm. signs, you know where the washrooms are, in the cupboard, you have signs showing them that dishes are here, cups are here. You know, all those little things to help them to be successful are so important. That's really beautiful. I love that. I think that kind of person-centered care should be in all long-term care facilities, even for people that don't have dementia. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Because, you know, really, who says that we, you know, we've lived these very unique lives. We've developed into the people we are with our own interests and, and, you know, preferences. And then suddenly, because we're older we and needing more care, that suddenly we have to fit into a whole, you know, routine that somebody else has set up for us. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Not at mm-hmm. all. 
So if listeners are interested in learning more about you, um, your books, and Alexis Lodge, um, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, If you go to www.alexislodge.com, you will be able to see a lot of things about Alexis Lodge itself and um, listen to some testimonials that families have given us. For my book, it's at um, Seggy's Rose, that is C-E-G-I-S, rose.com. And as well, another thing that I want to mention quickly is that I've just um, actually founded a charitable organization, uh, a Rose for Grandma mm-hmm. Wellness Hub, that caters to the needs of the underserved BIPOC communities. So the Blacks, Indigenous, and people of color. We want to help to the families and the individuals that are living through with dementia to have support. We want to provide respite care. We want to provide um, programs like clubs that they can come to during the day, overnight respite care. We want to be able to send in nursing staff, uh, caregivers to help them because we know that dementia is a very difficult journey and we want to be there Mm -hmm. to be supportive to these people. And also in these communities as well, the stigma is pretty high because in the first place, a lot of the cultures don't like to talk about the diseases. So educating and increasing awareness is also very important. So we are at the beginning stages and we love anyone that is able to help us get started and help us to fund some of these programs that are so needed for these communities. So what is the the link for that, again, in case listeners are interested um, in doing that? It's com. Our website mm-hmm. will be going up in uh, maybe by the end of the week. So we just really, really in our, our infant stage because that is a way of me furthering my desire to help. So I started mm-hmm. with the, the retirement home. I wrote the books. I have a wellness podcast called Our Forever Young Podcast. Yes, to a podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anything that I can do just to bring awareness to this disease and to educate and to help those that their voice have been stifled by dementia, because we need to amplify their voices when they can no longer speak. So that is what I am all about. And that is what I will keep doing for as long as I can possibly That's do. Wonderful. Now, what's the link for the podcast if people want to listen to that, which, I, you know, I'm, you invited me to be on yes, that podcast. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward yes. to that. <laughs> so it's what, our what would forever. be the link? It's mm-hmm. our Forever Young podcast. It's on Apple Podcast and other places where you can um, listen to podcasts. Oh, okay. So if people go to Apple Podcasts, they can just put that in mm-hmm. or any other of the podcast yes. platforms. Our, our Forever Podcast.com, yes. Okay. Our, forever young, our Forever Young Podcast, sorry. Our Forever Young Podcast. <laughs> Okay, yes, wonderful, yes. wonderful. 
Well, thank you so much for for being on the program. I, this is really this has been great, and you're doing really wonderful things. Good luck with the charitable organization. And um, I look forward to being on your podcast. And yes, I would love to have you come back sometime in the future as well. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, Mara. And I look forward to hosting you on the 29th of June. Can't wait. <laughs> yes. I can't wait, too. All right. Yes. Well, you Thank have you a again. very good evening and enjoy the rest of your your weekend. Thank you. You, too. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And I'm just going to speak for a few. I got muted there. Um, We've been talking for the last few weeks about um, improving the quality of life for residents in long-term care. And I really want to highlight that what um, Christiana was talking about with person-centered care is really the, that is the ultimate, that's the best type of care. And that's really what is missing. I would say that's the main issue, the main thing that is missing in most long-term care communities, even the best ones, even the ones that have the most staff and the nicest surroundings and the best food and all of that. Person-centered care means that, um, as as I just said to Christiana that, you know, we spend our life following, you know, our dreams. We hope that's what we aspire to, to do the things that we love to do. And along the way, we have become individuals. We've become, before we get to the point where we end up in a long-term care community, we, we achieve a lot of um, individual preferences and things, talent, things that we're good at, things that we enjoy. But then we get to a nursing home, for example, the long-term care facility, and very often those things are put aside and we're expected to follow along with what's most efficient for the staff, what's most convenient for the staff, and that is that we just do what everybody else is doing at the same exact time 
that they're doing it at the time that has been scheduled for us. We wake up at a certain time. We eat at a certain time. We go to activities. I've noticed that um, if somebody doesn't want to go to the group activity, but they prefer to do something else, that that's very often frowned upon, that, you know, that comes up in a care plan meeting, that the so-and-so didn't, we had activities and we keep trying to get them to come to them and the person refuses. Um, that's a problem if that resident is refusing to do anything and they're depressed because they're not interacting with other people and they're just not doing anything. Um, but it's not a problem if that person is doing something with else with that time that they enjoy doing and they're feeling really satisfied with the activity that they chose to do, even if it was not the group activity. So that, I think, is the ultimate. Now, getting getting the long-term care communities to that point, you know, uh, the larger long-term care communities, um, nursing homes, large nursing homes, to get them to that point where they provide that sort of person-centered care, that's really the mission. That's really the the focus. Um, that that's really where we have to push. And how do we push? How do we achieve better care, more higher quality care, more person centered care? Um, we've been talking about some of the ways to do that. I think one of the one really powerful way is through having a family council, a very active family council that is on the ground. Um, I, as I mentioned several weeks ago, I started a family council, a virtual family council for my mom, the place where my mom is a resident. And I also attend the statewide family council in the state where she lives. And one of the things that I've learned in going to the statewide family council, listening to the guest speaker there recently, is that the family councils in the, both in the local community, in the long-term care community and in the state are really the grassroots for changes in, um, the way that things are done in long-term care facilities. And some of that comes through pushing for changes within the community, letting the administration know that this is a problem. We're, we're here on the ground. We see what our family members are dealing with, what our loved ones are dealing with, what they complain to us about, what we notice is not working um, or is going wrong. We bring it to the administration. We would like to see a change. But then we also, as a statewide family council, can bring it to the legislator legislation in the state, bring it to the legislators and say, hey, this is something that's going on in many of the nursing homes in the state, and it's a problem, and we would like to see you do something about it. And things have been done. Things have changed. Um, in that particular state where my mom is, things have changed through um, pushing the legislators. 
So having a family council, really important. The second part of that is voting and making your voice heard in the state. Um, pushing legislators toward those issues, letting writing letters, letting them know that I will vote for you if you take a stand uh, with older adults and the care that they're receiving in nursing homes. And then that brings us to the larger government, the federal government. A lot of the statewide legislature, legislation has, is now being pushed to become federal laws that, requ that require nursing homes to do such and such. Um, for example, in the state where my mom lives, in the state of Connecticut, as well as here in Texas, actually Texas was the first state to do this, and it was from, um, it was because of the legislation that happened in the state of Texas that Connecticut decided to do it. Um, very interesting because these are states with very different political leanings, but they both the legislators agreed on this issue. So this is a coming, a bipartisan coming together to take care of our elders. And that particular legislation is called the Essential Support Person Act, which came out um, because of the um, locking down of nursing homes during COVID, which was a necessary thing because COVID was spreading and there wasn't seen. However, it went on for months that family members could not see their loved ones in the facilities. It went on for months for some facilities and in some states it went on for longer than a year um, or years. So this had an effect on mental health of the residents in the communities and even caused more a higher mortality rate because of the loneliness and social isolation. They couldn't see each other and they couldn't see their family mem members. So there has to be a balance. I, I talked about that in a prior show and I wrote about that having a balance. And one of the ways of balancing it is the Essential Support Person Act. And that means that it's that if a resident has assigned one or two people to be their essential support people, that even in a public health crisis, an earthquake, uh, any kind of crisis, um, where the facility is locked down to the public, those essential support people cannot be locked out as long as they follow the specific health guidelines that are necessary to keep everybody safe. So, for example, in a, a virus like COVID, that would mean that, you know, the family member would, if there are vaccines, they would have to be vaccinated. If they um, need to wear PPE, gowns and masks, even face shields, whatever it is, as long as they're willing to comply with whatever the guidelines are to keep everybody safe, then they would be allowed to come in. Um, the same guidelines that the staff would, the caregivers are required to follow. Um, so it was through having family members, um, uh, 
approaching legislators that these laws were passed, and now that law is being worked on to make it a federal law that um, throughout the United Home homes can lock out family members or more specifically, whoever has been named as the essential support person, which doesn't necessarily have to be a family member. It could be just a very close friend, whoever is considered that person's person. <laughs> um, so I'm going to end this right here. Um, I really, I'm going to continue to talk in the future about setting up family councils and the things that the obstacles that get in the way and how to overcome those obstacles setting up a family council. But the more I attend these statewide meetings, the more we have our local family council meeting, the more I see that having a family council is really the number one way of making changes um, to the way things are done in a in the facility to make it a higher quality of life for the residents and to move on that path toward more person-centered care. All right. So before we end the show, I want to let you know what is coming up. Um, here's what's coming up. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be playing some of our favorite shows as encores. Um, the next couple of Sundays because we will be doing a live show on those Sundays. But then we'll be back later in June with another great program, the guest to be announced. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, get any website links. But we talked about several website links on this program go to my website and the podcast along with the website links will be posted later tonight, um, drmaricarpel.com. You can also hear this program again in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blogtalkradio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years, and you can hear it on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, to find out what's coming up next, soon as we know, and any other events uh, besides this show that are coming up. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Thank you to my guest, Christiana Eggy, and thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring couple of weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program. <laughs>